I'm sure at some point Sam and I will set foot on our carnival ship and uh, do our own comparison. Maybe. But uh, for now, we are. <laughs> oh, throwing it down. All right. Okay. Well, sorry, Carnival. It will not be the CCL duo anytime soon. <laughs> back everybody to this week's episode of the dcl duo podcast and we are excited to welcome back a prior guest who spent some time talking about the dvc member cruise with us many months ago now and uh who we've chatted with online several times about many topics and are excited to have him on so i want to welcome back jonathan to our show welcome jonathan Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Uh, it, it. Yeah, it has been quite a few months since I've been on. So I'm excited to, to catch up with you guys again. Yeah, well, if nothing else, Jonathan, when we last talked to you, there were no cruises really sailing, I don't think, uh, at least in the United States. And now we are all back to cruising. And that's why we're excited to have you back, because we can talk about a cruise that you went on recently. Jonathan, do you want to remind folks about your cruising experience before we dive into your cruise this evening? Because it's not on Disney Cruise Line. So help folks understand what your cruising background is. Sure. Uh, my my cruising background is is the vast majority of it is Disney Cruise Line. My wife and I have been on eight total Disney cruises. We've been on all four ships so far. A few of them were DVC member cruises, and uh, the rest of them were just standard, your, your typical sailings. And then we've also done two additional cruises, both of those uh, being on Carnival Cruise Line. What's your next Disney cruise that you've got planned? Do you have one planned? We do. Yeah, we will be on the Disney Wonder for the 10-day Hawaiian Islands cruise that uh, will end in Vancouver early May of next year. Awesome. The one negative about that, Jonathan, is you don't get to go to, I know, one of your favorite places and mine, Alani. Uh, not exactly true. We actually, we are going to do two or three nights at Alani prior to the cruise. Oh, even better. <laughs> I was going to say, Jonathan's a DVC member. Of course he's stopping at Alani. <laughs> well, Jonathan, we are having you on this evening not to talk about Disney Cruise Line, but to do one of our favorite things, which is to compare Disney Cruise Line to another popular cruise line out there. This time, we've, we've had folks talk about Royal Caribbean with us. We've had folks talk about Celebrity. If you had to really have someone dig into Carnival Cruise Line's with us, but that's what we're going to talk about with you. So you were on a Carnival cruise sailing recently. You want to give folks the background on on that? Yeah. So, I mean, eight of our cruises were Disney Cruise Line and just we wanted to try something else. Not that we have any sort of issues with Disney. We love Disney. Uh, we just wanted to see what else was out there. So in 2018, we took a shorter four-night cruise uh, on the Carnival Sensation was a yeah it was a four night cruise just did so uh, uh Nassau and Cozumel were the two ports that we went to on that cruise and it was okay decided that we would give carnival at least one more chance because I'm the kind of person who you know I know you can have an okay experience uh somewhere and it's not always right to judge it based on the first experience. So I'm always the kind of person who's willing to give something at least a second shot to see if it's for us. So we booked a last minute cruise on the Carnival Magic this past early November. So it was November 6th. And we got one crazy deal <laughs> on, on the cruise. We paid $50 per person plus taxes, fees, port expenses, and, and gratuities. I think the total cruise fare was under $600 for the both of us. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And this, so this was a Southern Caribbean cruise, right? And it was a, was it a seven night or eight night? It was eight night. Yes. Well, that price is even more impressive then. 
You left out of Port Canaveral, so mm-hmm. you're probably gazing longingly at a Disney ship parked in port. Yes, the the the, <laughs> the fantasy was staring at us the entire time we were sitting in port. <laughs> that was Mickey looking over at all of you, doing the "I'm watching you," you know, <laughs> gesture. The wagging finger of shame. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jonathan, let's let's walk through the Carnival offering a little bit. I think folks compare Disney most often to Royal Caribbean, but Carnival gets you know brought in there not not infrequently. Where where does the magic fall within the Carnival offering in terms of you know newness and you know that sort of stuff? Sure, yeah. Uh, so Carnival Magic is the same age as Disney Dream, so 2011. Okay, and how many passengers do you know? Uh, I believe capacity is 4,000 passengers. Oh, so similar. Yes, very similar. Uh, she's a very similar size. And do you know how many were on board? From what we heard from various people, is we, we were about 80% full, so right around 3,000 uh, guests. Oh, wow. Well, let's let's start at the beginning with sort of the booking process. Aside from the sticker shock that uh, that you got in a positive way, how was booking with Carnival and, and any big differences between Carnival and Disney that you thought were worse or better? Uh, I, the, the online, we booked online and the booking process was very similar, I would say, to booking a Disney Cruise Line vacation. You know, when you book Carnival, uh, you can, you basically, you choose your sailing and when you kind of confirm your sailing, you have two options. You can basically let Carnival pick your, you know, you just choose inside ocean view, balcony, so on. And then you can let Carnival just kind of automatically assign the room or you can customize every bit. And, you know, you can choose the exact stateroom, much like Disney. You know, I opted for the, you know, pick your stateroom and pick the arrangement of your room and everything. One thing I noticed about Carnival is they are a lot more geared toward not necessarily single cruisers, but cruisers who aren't family members. Uh, because the uh, the basic arrangement of a Carnival stateroom is two twin beds, and you can tell them that you want them to push the beds together and, and have it more like a king. So uh, it, it's kind of interesting how the default is is two twins, and you have to specifically tell them in the online booking process whether you want the beds together or if you want them to remain separate. Right. So like two friends going together who each are going to be in a single bed versus a couple or a family. Correct. Correct. So where, you know, where Disney is automatically geared towards families and they just have a single queen bed plus the sleeper sofa. And then sometimes you have the the pull down. Carnival is more geared. You know, most of the rooms are just, you know, they sleep too. Of course, there are family categories that you can book, you know, for more guests in the stateroom, but the default tends to be two cruisers. Is there a big savings between choosing your stateroom and not choosing your stateroom? Because on Disney, yeah, you hit that guarantee period and there's some savings, but it's not I mean, it's not enormous savings or anything like that. Right. Uh, it tends to, from what uh, from what I can remember of the booking process, it really doesn't make a difference because they kind of, they show you the cruise fare per person prior to the stateroom selection portion. So it's pretty much locked in pricing wise, no matter which direction you decide to go. Gotcha. What about the, you know, Disney has the regimented process of, you know, now it's uh, whatever your booking status or your castaway club status is, gets you access to activity booking windows. And then 30 days in advance is check-in, 15 days in advance, you're doing uploads for for COVID and all of that sort of stuff. And we'll get into the COVID protocols in a second for Carnival. What's the what's that sort of check-in process like and any big differences between Carnival and what you've experienced on Disney? 
Sure. So uh, we are, since this is only our se- was only our second Carnival cruise, we are what they consider in their loyalty program red status, meaning we've been on more than one, but we haven't stayed enough nights to get to the next level. Very similar to when on Disney, your very first cruise, you have no Castaway Club ranking. And then after your, your first completed cruise, then you're silver. So we're, we're the equivalent of silver on Carnival. And to my knowledge, everybody checked in 30 days prior. There was no staggered check-in based on loyalty club level, unless perhaps you were in their higher diamond or, pl- or platinum or diamond are their two highest. So I don't know if maybe they got priority check-in. I, I don't know. I don't have that answer. COVID protocols, Jonathan, what's, what's Carnival doing these days? And I mean, I assume you're familiar with what Disney is up to in terms of masking and that sort of stuff. But what are the COVID protocols like on Carnival? So uh, the COVID protocols, once when you're at the the terminal, of course, you're masked up indoors because you're essentially you're on federal property. So those rules apply. There was signage posted throughout the ship once we were on board that they wanted you to wear masks uh, in indoor areas. And especially when you know, you're in close contact with uh, people who aren't in your cruise party, masks indoors when you're at shopping locations when you are on your way to the dining room to be seated. Of course, once you're seated, then you can demask because Carnival has a casino on board. You know, the expectation and the signage pointed, you know, says that uh, they expect you to wear a mask inside the casino unless you were actively eating, drinking or smoking because in the uh, in the main casino on Carnival, smoking is allowed in that uh, where you're actively gambling. In reality, though, the... The masking guidelines weren't enforced strictly, especially when moving about the ship. It was it was enforced on the way, you know, in the dining rooms, waiting in line, and it was enforced in the shops. Pretty much everywhere else, it was very lax. There were no uh, crew members telling anyone to to mask up. Interesting. That's that's certainly different. Yeah, and was it was it divided between the vaxxed and the unvaxxed? That's what I sort of heard at one point. So our cruise was ninety five percent vaccinated crew and cast they had minimal exceptions and you had to apply for an exception like for example uh kids who were at the time were unable to be vaccinated in the the 5 to 12 age range parents could apply for a, an exemption for them and then there were minimal exemptions also offered for medical reasons if you couldn't get the vaccine you could apply for an exemption but you weren't necessarily approved if you applied well the the embarkation process itself Jonathan what was it like getting on a carnival ship at Port Canaveral as opposed to the Disney experience? Any big differences there? So when we first got to the the port, we had taken our transportation from MCO to Port Canaveral. There was a very, very long line that stretched basically from the entrance to the port building, probably about a quarter mile back. And right in front of the entrance to the port building, there were uh, queue, there was a queue and switchbacks, a, a few switchbacks that you had to go through. But once they kind of spread the line back towards the parking garage, it was just single file. So there was a 25, 30 minute wait outside before we could get in to see the first uh, team member from the from Carnival. At, once we had finally made it to the first team member, we showed our passports, our negative test results, as well as the boarding pass that they have you print out as part of your check-in documentation. Once we had made it past them, we put away our vaccine card and we went through security. Uh, after security, you walked to another counter where you showed your boarding pass as well as your passports. 
And then if they needed to update your photo, uh, depending on how long it had been since you cruised with them, you may have had to update your photo with Carnival. So they took that there. And then basically from there, it was a, a walk up a, a flight of steps to a like an upper balcony type area that crossed over where we had registered, which eventually led to the gangway. Now, you ha- you mentioned testing. So even though you were vaccinated, you still needed to do some pre-cruise testing. Is that right? And if so, what kind and within what time period? Correct. So Carnival was following the current, uh, at the time, the current CDC guidelines. So you had to have a negative test result within 48 hours of the start of your cruise. My wife and I opted for the Binax at-home tests that we had ordered. And it was a self-administered test, but it was proctored. So you had a uh, you had to do a web call, a we- uh, like a video chat with a test proctor who instructed you on how to set up the test, how to swab, and told you how to put the test swab in the card that uh, had this, you know, the, uh, the the chemical reactants that determined whether the, you, you were positive or negative. And then they had you read and show your results. And then you got a an email with uh, a PDF of your negative test results. And then that's all we then that's what we showed at the port when we checked in. We did not have to do port testing. We were we were allowed to just do the at home test and present our results. Now, if you couldn't get an at home test or if you couldn't get a an appointment at a testing site prior, they were offering a a limited number of on site COVID tests, and I think it was $150 per person. And then they just build your, what they call your sale and sign card, your key to the world card, basically. They would just bill your ship account at, uh, for the testing fee. Gotcha. And so it sounds like from the, the line to get in, there are no port arrival times for Carnival. There are port arrival times. Uh, just not being enforced, probably. It didn't seem like they were being enforced. That that's very that's a very correct <laughs> from from my experience is that they weren't being enforced. So we had chosen an eleven thirty port arrival time, but with with the transportation that we booked, we weren't even picked up from MCO until eleven forty five. So we actually we didn't arrive until about an hour after our you know, selected port arrival time. Well, let's let's talk about the experience on board the ship a little bit, separate apart from all the COVID stuff going on. Why don't we start with stateroom? So what kind of stateroom did you get and how did it compare to your experience with Disney Cruise Line staterooms? You, you mentioned the beds. That's, that's a difference. But what else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the offer that we booked was for an inside stateroom. So that's what we pick. We're not, we're not generally picky when it comes to stateroom category or view. I'm just happy being on a ship, honestly. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, we've never had on any cruise line, we've never had a balcony or a veranda. The most we've ever done is uh, an ocean view with uh, with a porthole. So our, our, our stateroom was inside and it was truly inside because our stateroom was in a corridor in the middle of the ship. Much like on Disney Cruise Line, you've got your uh, your port and starboard sides and there are rooms lining both sides of each hallway. So you've got basically got four corridors of rooms, but then in certain areas we were we were on deck six midship and there was a section of staterooms in a corridor. So we basically had to get off the elevator, turn and go down the hallway on the port side and then make another turn and another turn to get into where our stateroom was. Gotcha. Gotcha. So almost like a hallway down the middle of the ship as opposed yes. to yeah, the way Disney does it. Okay. Yes. 
So we were in that we were in that type of room. And Carnival doesn't have deluxe or standard. They only have one inside stateroom, one ocean view. So it's a single bathroom, single entry. So you've got the toilet, sink, and shower all in the same room. Unlike if you book a deluxe category on Disney, where they're separate. You know, you've got sink, toilet, and then sink, shower. What is nice, at least for me as a six foot four gentleman, it's a shower and I can stand all the way upright on both carnival cruises that we've been on. On Disney, it never fails. I don't know if it's because of the tub and it being slightly elevated. My head touches the ceiling on on every Disney ship that I've been on so far. So it's kind of nice to, you know, not have to duck. <laughs> well, and, and how did how did, how was the size of the stateroom and storage? It reminded me a lot of the Disney ships. There was, you know, the uh, the beds were up elevated so that I could put our suitcases underneath. We had two closets and then we had a third closet that had shelving in it. And then there was a drawer that we could put stuff in uh, where the vanity is. So plenty of storage space, both uh, in closets and underneath the bed. Well, let's let's shift over to onboard activities. I think everyone thinks of Carnival as being one of those ships that has like so much to do, right? There's wave riders and potentially, I think it's Norwegian has go-karts, but you know, climbing walls, all this sort of stuff. What were the offerings on board the Carnival ship like as compared to what you've experienced on Disney? Sure. So the the Carnival Magic had a uh, a main pool area. There was a family pool. Then there was a an adults only pool with two hot tubs on the aft of the ship. And there were also two hot tubs on deck five of all places. Deck five is very similar to the outdoor running track area of a Disney ship. So you, you kind of exit from the promenade out into the outdoor track on deck five, but they also had hot tubs there randomly, one on each side of the ship. As far as the pool deck, or uh, as Carnival calls it, Lido, I think a lot of other cruise lines might call, refer to it as Lido as well. There were two water slides. So there was a traditional enclosed body slide. And then there was another water slide that basically was an open tube. The idea was to spin around a funnel as many times as you could, but without stopping. Then once you stopped, you had to climb down steps to get back to the Lido deck. My wife did that one and I did the enclosed body slide and it was fun, but we never, we didn't do it more than once. It's, I mean, it's certainly no aqua duck or, uh, or aqua dunk. How about the pool deck itself, Jonathan? Is, is, you know, what were the pools like? How crowded did it feel? The pools were pretty crowded all the time. And I, I kind of expected that once we had learned that it was 80% full, I expected the, that would kind of be the place where everybody would hang out. And it was. Uh, we had trouble finding, you know, like beach chairs or lounge chairs to uh, when we did want to enjoy pool time. Uh, we ended up going, I think, to deck 12 and found a, a set of, you know, two chairs in the far, in the aft of the ship, which was relatively close to the the pool and hot tubs in the aft area but yeah yeah it was very hard to find a spot to sit is is it was it kid soup in those pools well it sounds like it was just it sounds like it was just well, human that's, soup well, in, in that's what i'm curious though because i'm i'm curious to to know what sort of the presence of kids were like we saw very few kids on board so i i think partly because of the 95 percent vaccination requirement and the limited exemptions it was very much adults dominated i could probably count on just my hands the the number of unique kids that i saw in the eight days a few teenagers a few kids around nathan's age and uh i think i saw maybe one or two kids under three there weren't many 
What, what about, uh, well, I mean, the, the casino is a big difference between Disney and Carnival. Use the casino? Did you find like, oh, this is a place that I wish Disney would, would bring on board? I work in a casino, so I'm used to the atmosphere. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting atmosphere to, for me to be in, but I'm not a huge gambler myself. Because you know the house always wins. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So on, on some of the ships now, since the return to cruising, Carnival has put in uh, non-smoking casinos, and they put it, there's the main casino, which is a smoking casino. So the Carnival Magic happened to have the main casino on Deck 5, and then they had a casino annex that was non-smoking on Deck 4 that was much smaller, but still had you know a selection of table games and slot machines. My wife and I made a couple donations you know, while we were on board. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we didn't, we didn't win anything, but we ended up, you know, as you do sometimes, you join cruise groups you know, for your sailing. We found out that one of our friends that we went to college with happened to be on the sailing with us. And all because of the Facebook group. We probably never would have realized he was on the ship if it hadn't been for the cruise group. So once we realized, you know, we saw that he had made a comment on a post and we're like, are you on this cruise with us? And he said, yeah. He said, I'm going with my friend, Heather, friend and former coworker, And she had this amazing casino offer where I think she had free drinks, free adult beverages, and she had basically, I think she paid $250 total for the room because of her casino offer. So yeah, <laughs> they, uh, they have a, you know, they have a player's club, much like most casinos on land do. And the, the, the more you spend, the higher your level, the better cruise offers you get. So she got free drinks for every, for both people in her stateroom, as well as $250 uh, flat for the cruise, which was Phenomenal. She must gamble a lot. <laughs> there were some numbers thrown around that I, you know, it would take me a few months to make the amount of money that, <laughs> that she she's spending in the casinos. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say Disney doesn't need a casino because they just rake it in through the actual cruise fair. Right. So or they, they, or they, and they, the merch. That's how they avoid and it. the merch. Yeah, and that is one thing I've very I've noticed about the two cruises we've been on with Carnival is the the cruise fair tends to be a very uh, rock bottom. But the on-ship purchases are where they tend to make their money. And that's, I mean, you, you're either going to pay it prior to boarding the ship or you're going to pay it on the ship. It, it's, it doesn't matter which cruise line. It's Disney, you pay it prior. Carnival, you're, you're buying everything on the ship. What kinds of things are, are, are those add-on costs beyond the casino? So uh, basically, you have the option prior to boarding the cruise. You can pre-book either a soft drink package or you can book the alcoholic package. Uh, or the alcohol drink, you know, they, they call it cheers. The soft drink package includes canned Pepsi products and some juices. It's, it's basically Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew, Pepsi Zero, you know, your, your typical uh, Pepsi products. Ginger ale, you know, all, all those kind of things. Club soda, you could get a club soda or you could get a um, tonic water or something like that as well. But basically the way you went about that, because they were canned beverages, they were all kept at the bar. So you had to, if you did pre-purchase the soft drink package, you had to go to a bar location and get your drink and they would swipe your card, notice that you had prepaid and basically zero out the, the, the 250 per drink cost. And then if you do the alcohol package, if you pre-book it, it's $52 a day plus tax and 18% gratuity. If you book on the ship, you have the first two days of the cruise that you can book the alcohol package, and it's 57 So it's a $6 increase per day per person. 
And that includes 15 alcoholic drinks per day. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, 15 alcoholic beverages per day? Per day per person. Yes. <laughs> you have like one or two. Oh my God. Right. But that like really encourages you if you want to get your money's worth, right? If you prepay, you might be pounding those drinks because you're like, I, I, you know, then your per drink cost goes really down. I don't think I've ever had 15 drinks. <laughs> well, this is, this is, this day. is why I don't, I'm, you know, we're learning about these. We're not saying that Carnival is going to be the cruise line for us, right? We always say there is a, a cruise line for everyone, but not every cruise line is for everyone, right? <laughs> so, Jonathan, let me ask this. It includes 15 drinks per day. What did you do any math around what the break even price ends up being? Like what, what a cost of a drink is on board and how many you need to have for it to make sense? Yeah. So average, I would say the average cost of a drink, beer started about six twenty-five as well. And your canned beers and your seltzers and uh, like Mike's hard lemonades, those, if they're served in a can, they're between six and a quarter and $7 for canned beers and draft beers. Once you start getting into the Drinks where there's like martinis or frozen drinks, those tend to creep towards the ten to twelve dollar range. So if you have six ten dollar drinks a day, that's your that's kind of your break even point. So it, it really rewards you if you tend to like handcrafted drinks versus just drinking beers. You've got to drink a lot of beers, yeah. But you still got to drink a lot of cocktails at at twelve dollars a a pop to hit fifty seven dollars a day. That's that's I mean. It sort of speaks to, you know, you hear Carnival with this this reputation of the booze cruise. I mean, it's part of it feels like, well, you're pricing the drinks in a way that make it like, well, I'll get the drink package and I got got to get my money's worth. But yeah, wow, wow. So the, the, the day with the drink package begins at 6 a.m. and ends at 5.59 a.m. the following day. So it's a full 24 hours and it is a hard and fast limit. If you hit 15, they will cut you off. Then they'll start charging you. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, they'll you just are, cut you off no. completely. Oh, you are cut off completely. I mean, obviously, if you make friends on the cruise, they could buy you a drink, but you know, no bartender will serve you if you've hit 15 drinks per day. That seems infinitely reasonable to me. Well, what was the what was the culture like on board, Jonathan? I mean, these what I've heard is that on the shorter cruises out of like Miami, it like very much can turn into a booze cruise pretty quick. But you're in an eight night Southern Caribbean, lots of adults. Like, what was the culture like on board the ship? It felt a little less like it was a booze cruise. And, you know, people who were on this cruise with us seemed to be very frequent cruisers. So, yeah, it's not it, it didn't feel like uh, just a drunk tank full of college kids. So it was I mean, it was a it was a good experience. We never really ran into anybody who was belligerently drunk or anything like that. I mean, yeah, you're going to p- have people who you can tell or have obviously had maybe one too many. But, it you know, I never experienced anybody who was stumbling all over the place or anything like that. So it, it, it just felt normal. It felt like, you know, a normal cruise. Yeah. We, we experienced the one too many sitting at the table next to us in Remy. So it happens on Disney for sure. What was the age demographic like on board, Jonathan? You, you mentioned not a lot of kids, but, but the adults on board, did they run the gamut or did it seem like it was younger adults? Very much. Uh, it was it was definitely skewed more towards the over fifty crowd. The vast majority of the people that we saw tended to be, you know, in the the fifty plus range. You know, I mean, we saw plenty, you know, our fair share of twenty to forty year olds. 
it's probably in part also time of year with school in session and that sort of thing. It's hard for hard for the young adults or the families to take the time off anyway. Right, and for an eight night cruise as well for that same reason. Since since we've been talking about kids a little bit here, Jonathan, did I don't know if they had an open house or if you got to see any sort of kids club kind of activities on board. Uh, did did you have any experience with that or any thoughts there? I don't believe the kids club was open actually. I don't think it was open at all. To my knowledge, every time I walked past it, because it, it was on, it was on one of the decks that we frequently walked past. So, or uh, so, yeah, it, it was never open, and I never saw kids in there. Do they do they have areas of the ship that kids aren't allowed in besides the casino? Yeah. So aside from the casino, there's also deck thirteen on Carnival, which is called Serenity, and it is just a an area with a bar, some lounge chairs, some premium lounge chairs compared to comparatively to what was on the pool deck. There were nicer lounge chairs. And I believe there may have been one or two hot tubs on Serenity, but no pool area. Unlike Disney, where there's uh, you've got uh, next to Cove Cafe, you've got the hot tub and the pool. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we need to take a quick pause in the action here to thank our amazing sponsors over at Touring Plans. We use Touring Plans Travel to book our own Disney vacations and just love, love, love our Touring Plans Travel Specialist. She waits on hold when we don't have time. She monitors cruise deals for us and rebooks to get us lower rates on some of the cruise lines that actually where the prices actually do go down, <laughs> like Disney Cruise Line. Uh, so she does watch those rates for us and rebook. She steers us toward cruises we would like and room categories and gives us suggestions. And so while we have our preferences, she's always there and available to help us out. And when we plan a parks vacation, it's just gotten so complicated of late with all the new genie technology and everything. Like I need to rely on someone who really understands what's going on. And she absolutely helps us there as well. So we love the folks over at Touring Plans. What we love most is that the philosophy of Touring Plans aligns with the philosophy of our own podcast. We're not out to sell you a Disney vacation. We're not travel agents ourselves. And so we just like to give our honest opinions and reviews. And I think you'll find the folks over at Touring Plans will also give you their honest opinions and reviews of different sailings and ships uh, and steer you toward the thing that they think is the best for your family. So Remember, you don't pay anything extra to use a travel agent, especially when booking Disney vacations. Disney pays the travel agent at the time you travel. You're leaving money on the table. If you don't use a travel agent, you're certainly leaving expertise on the table if you don't. So we highly recommend the folks over at Touring Plans. Head over there. Check them out. Touringplans.com slash travel. Let them know the DCL Duo sent you to help support the show. And with that, back to our episode. Before we move on, Jonathan, the other thing I just, you know, the the other activities on board, and I'm thinking of things like, you know, on, on Disney, you've got bingo and like, you know, trivias and, you know, stuff like that. Did they have, uh, you know, a lot of offerings, you know, curated offerings like that on board Carnival? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a trivia junkie. <laughs> I, I like to I like to participate in as much trivia as I can that fits into our schedule. So that's kind of where I spend the vast majority of my time. So yeah, there's there's trivia, there's group based games. They had a they had a life sized Jenga game that they did a few times throughout the eight day cruise, and it was just anybody that wanted to participate. You were kind of you know if you made the tower fall, you lost. The the trivia themes ranged from everything from general knowledge to a trivial pursuit style where it was you know you had to get so many questions right in multiple categories to win. Uh, you know, 90s, 80s, 70s, TV, sci-fi, musicals. There was Game of Thrones trivia. You know, there was even Golden Girls trivia. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely something for everybody if trivia is your thing. The second full day of our cruise, our first sea day, uh, my wife wasn't feeling very well. So I kind of had to find ways to entertain myself without her. So, you know, I, I participated in a bunch of trivias and, and actually 
made quite a few friends since, you know, it's, it's really no fun to play trivia alone. So I, I started up a conversation with a couple who were on the ship and uh, we really hit it off well. And, and basically from that point forward, that was our trivia crew. Of course, you know, now that we are trivia friends, we, you know, we're friends on Facebook and we have a, a nice little group chat going. So the friends you make on a cruise can be friends for life, really. Yes, or through your podcast. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Jonathan, one other big activity on board that I know Sam's going to want to hear all about are stage shows. And so, you know, we hear all the time Disney has the best shows out there. But how about the stage shows on board Carnival? I'm not going to make any excuses. The, the shows on Disney are far and away uh, much better than than anything that we experienced on Carnival. And that's not to say that Carnival didn't have fun shows on this cruise. They just weren't to the same caliber as, as Disney, just because they don't have those the, the years and years and years of in-house IP to kind of draw inspiration from to craft their shows. There were three main shows that I can remember, and they were on the last several nights of the cruise. There was a variety show one night, and it was just an on, you know, a performer that they brought on board to do comedy and magic. So he wasn't a, a staff member. He was just brought on board probably with a contract. Um, but then their in-house theater company, which they call Playlist Productions, they put on a show called Flick, The Power of Motion Pictures. And it was just basically like a greatest hits singing and dancing of the most iconic film soundtracks and songs from 50s all the way up till today. So, you know, you had uh, you had to have the Titanic reference, but you also had some references to the classic 80s films and uh, Wizard of Oz. And, 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 you know, it was kind of all over the place. My, and it, it told a, a narrative and uh, throughout the, the story, the, the main character of the show, is, his name is Flick, and he did not speak at all during the performance. He was kind of a passive observer. It, I, I, one of my, my friends, he thinks that Flick may have been dead and he was kind of recounting his life through the, the, the show. I thought maybe it was a story of unrequited love like because it, he, he uh, was kind of longingly staring at the main female performer the whole time and, and he never truly interacted with her except in the Wizard of Oz sequence where it was over the rainbow. So it, that kind of felt like it was fantasy, not reality. It was a fun show. I enjoyed it. But it's, it, again, nowhere near the, the caliber of shows on Disney. The other show that we saw was called 88 Keys. And it was a full production playing a lot of the classic piano songs, you know, everything from Billy Joel to Elton John and so on. It was a fun show. The vocal performances were good. They weren't super strong, but they were good. And then the, the show on the final night was called America Rocks. And it was just it was a celebration of uh, America and patriotism. And we didn't, we didn't go to see that one. We decided to get uh, a, an earlier night's sleep that night. So we didn't go to the show. But if you, after the shows were over, there was plenty of other uh, activities at night that you could enjoy. So they have a, every carnival ship that I believe has a piano bar. So you, it's kind of a, a lounge where, you know, you can go have a cocktail and listen to a uh, piano player sing and perform piano hits you know, and they can take requests and you can, of course, you can tip to get your request played. So if you've ever been to like a dueling pianos bar, very similar. There was every night there was a comedy club. So they had four different comedians. Each comedian did a set a night for the first four nights. And then the other two comedians did their sets one each night for the last four nights of the cruise. We did not hit the comedy club this time at all. We didn't. We just 
decided not to. It, anytime we got there, it seemed really, really busy, and we just didn't want to be involved in that. So I guess we got to get to the main topic here, Jonathan, that everyone wants to know about, which is food. <laughs> food on board Carnival. Why don't we start with what are the options on board, you know, in terms of main dining and other kinds of restaurants, any upcharge dining, stuff like that? What are the options? Sure. So uh, Carnival, unlike, you know, is very much different than than Disney. They have two main dining rooms versus three, and it's non-rotational. So you go to the same dining room every night. So uh, Carnival offers three options for main dining. They either do an early seating, a late seating, or they do what they call your time dining, which is basically between uh, 5.45 and 9. You can use the Carnival app to check in when you want to go eat. You'll check in, and then you wait until you get your table assigned. Then you proceed to the restaurant. They seat you at your table. And then it's always a different table, and it may not be the same uh, wait staff every time that you dine there. Now, however, we found out that if you had a server that you really liked or a service team that you liked, you could request them multiple nights. We had two nights with the same server, and his name was Houston, and he was he was phenomenal. He was really the only server who, to us, you know, made any uh, recommendations about the menu that those nights that we had him. He was the only one that really uh, spent a lot of time at the table. It was definitely not the the same as your rotational dining experience where with Disney, where you have the same crew and they know you by the end of the cruise. So it, it, it was very a very different experience. If you, um, if you choose the main dining or the late dining, the, the set seatings, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you do have typically then the same serving staff or serving team for the length of the cruise. From from what I remember from talking to other folks on board, yes, if you will, if you have a set dining time, you will have the same table. You most likely will have the same service team, unless for some reason they give them the evening off, which has, uh, I believe you know is, is possible where they get the evening off. So as far as other dining options, you know, of course, if you didn't want to eat in the main dining room, you had plenty of selection on on Lido deck. So Lido has two restaurants on the outside of the, you know, where the pool is. They have the Blue Iguana Cantina, which is uh, tacos, burritos, taco salads, and, and that kind of stuff. And you could choose chicken, beef, shrimp, or fish for your protein, and then all manner of toppings and salsas and and all the all the accompaniments that you would expect uh, with with a taco bar. They also have Guy's Burger Joint which is done in partnership with Guy Fieri and I'm sorry, I am a sucker for a Guy's Burger. I'm sorry, Disney, I uh, Disney Cruise Line burgers are not great. Disney burgers in general are not great unless you're going to a restaurant where it's a hand-pressed patty. The the frozen burger puck just doesn't do it for me on Disney. But with uh, with Guy's Burgers, it is fresh ground beef, hand pressed, uh, and the patties are hand pressed and formed. Uh, they're not cooked to order, but it's it's quick service. But you know, and you can get all manner of toppings. You can get cheese, no cheese, lettuce, tomato, onion, pickle. They have sautéed mushrooms, sautéed onions. They have the French fried potato sticks. All you know, all manner of sauces and, and such. And it's just it's just a really high quality burger. It's it's delicious. And if you go on a carnival cruise for no other reason than to try a guy's burger, it's worth it. Now, tell us though, is are those included? So the the taco place and the guy's burger place that are on the Lido deck, are those part of, are you paying an upcharge or are those part of just your normal cruise fare? 
No, those are part of your normal cruise fare. So you have guys is included, the the buffet, the well, they call Lido Marketplace. They don't call it a buffet. That's included. The taco bar is included. They have a 24-hour pizza location. Now, f- as far as upcharges, they have a seafood shack where you can get crab legs, lobster, fried shrimp and clams and, and mussels and that kind of stuff. That's a that's an upcharge. And it depends on what you get, the price you pay. Some of the stuff is set pricing. Others is market pricing. They also had on the promenade, which is deck five, where all the clubs and everything are, and the casino is, they had a sushi bar where you could order uh, sushi by the roll, or you could get individual pieces. And rolls were between 5 and $8. I think the individual pieces were $3. Oh, there's one other included restaurant, quick serve restaurant that I forgot to mention. And that is another partnership with Guy Fieri. And it's uh, Guy's Pig and Anchor Barbecue. So it has all your typical barbecue favorites, you know, uh, pork butt, brisket, chicken, and do we sausage? So, and then all of the uh, the typical side orders. You know, you had greens, mac and cheese, coleslaw, baked beans. That was that was included. That wasn't an extra charge. As far as premium restaurants, the premium restaurants were there's an Italian restaurant, and it was fifteen dollars per person. It reminded me a little of Palo. Uh, the selections offered at Palo, so for dinner, you know, so, but it was a fifteen dollar upcharge. If you went to the Italian restaurant during lunch hours. They had a pasta bar. It was a make. It was a create your own pasta dish. So you could choose your pasta, your sauces, and your proteins and veggies. And then you could get that with. If you wanted, you could get a glass of wine or a, a can of Peroni. And then they also had a a lasagna with. It was a meat lasagna, but it was um, shredded beef versus ground beef. So yeah, the state the uh, the Italian restaurant is fifteen dollars per person if you go during dinner hours, and it's your typical. Soups, salads, starters, entrees, dessert. If you wanted to dine in the steakhouse, they have the Prime Steakhouse, which was priced at $38 per person. It was okay. We went the first night, and honestly, I don't think I would ever eat there again. It just, it was good, but it didn't feel like it was worth the upcharge. They have this dessert that you can get at the steakhouse. It's called Art at Your Table. And it's basically someone comes out and using a bunch of like uh, like raspberry and chocolate sauces. They basically like bring out a uh, a giant cutting board to your table, and then they draw in food art. They the the signature piece of the dessert is a white chocolate sphere that has a, a like a chocolate tort cake inside. They use the spoon to break it apart. Everyone at the table had to get that for dessert. If one person wanted it and the uh, any, anybody else with you didn't want it, you couldn't get it. You had to get one of the individual sized desserts. Like I said, I, w- I don't think I would do it again. It was it was fun. It was an experience, but I think I'm good from this point forward. It is, it is certainly no Palo dinner or brunch. The only other premium dining option that was available on our cruise was a chef's table. We didn't do it. It was in a different location. Like one night it was in the piano bar. And then another night it was in the library off of the one dining room is where they had the the chef's table. And it was just, I guess if you had to describe it as anything compared to Disney, probably a little more like Remy with multiple courses and the chef comes out and explains every course to you as they serve it. Well, we've covered, I think, the onboard stuff, Jonathan. I guess the only thing that's missing here is the the shopping on board. Do you have any quick thoughts about kind of the shopping experience on board the ship? 
Uh, a lot of the, uh, at least the general merchandise, the carnival merchandise was very, it wasn't great. There wasn't anything phenomenal. Like we didn't see any t-shirts or, or any anything that really stood out to us. The coolest thing that I just don't have any use for was a uh, a floating Bluetooth speaker in the shape of a carnival, sh- carnival ship. That was kind of <laughs> their newest item, but I have plenty of Bluetooth speakers and definitely did not need one of those. Uh, you know, you have your jewelry store and you know, your high-end jewelry, watches and handbags and that kind of stuff. And then, of course, there's a duty-free shop with cigarettes and alcohol. And, and perfumes and colognes and stuff. Very, you know, very much similar offerings to to Disney. Just the the in-house, the branded merchandise just was not up to par. Well, let's talk about off-ship for a second. You did do a Southern Caribbean cruise, which is one of our favorites. You stopped at two of the ABC islands, Aruba and Curacao. What was kind of the carnival onshore experience like for you? Did you book port adventures through them or just kind of explore on your own? So uh, our first port day was Aruba. And we did not book a carnival excursion. We we just ended up taking a local taxi and went to Eagle Beach for a few hours. It was a, a very beautiful beach, nice turquoise waters, and surprisingly, it was not very crowded. I think in Aruba that day, there were three other cruise ships in addition to the Magic, and it did not feel like the island was crowded at all. But it, So yeah, we didn't really explore Aruba too much because... We didn't get there until I think it was 1.30 in the afternoon. And then really, you know, we stayed at the beach until it started to get a little, you know, closer to sunset. We stayed until like 5 p.m. So we, we just got back on the ship and spent the rest of the evening on the ship and had dinner there. Now, we did book a, an excursion through Carnival for Curacao. So we went to the Hato Caves, and then we went to a private beach break, and you could either spend time at the private beach, or you could go on a guided snorkeling expedition. So we did the snorkeling and got to see all manner of tropical fish, as well as uh, some coral formations and such. We did find Dory. There was a clown, uh, there was a, uh, a blue tang that we had seen while snorkeling, so... Uh, if anyone's looking for Dory, she's in Curacao. <laughs> Love it. Marlon, it was, Marlon it was and Nemo, yeah. somewhere you just didn't see them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, Curacao was fun. We, you know, It was a very relaxed expedition, very low key. The last port stop that we went to was Amber Cove. And that's in the Dominican Republic, and it is it's it's amazing how massive the Dominican Republic is. Like it took us probably forty minutes to get from the port to our excursion, which we we did the waterfalls of Damahagua. So the waterfalls of Damahagua is it's a guided hike. It's about a two mile hike uh, up to the first waterfall, and it, and it, and this is in a, a a protected national park so it's it's run and operated by the dominican government so it's protected it's you know it's it's very much a, a preserved experience so we had our two mile hike in water shoes on a very rocky terrain not the most comfortable but it's about the at least this particular excursion it's not about the journey it is about the destination so you know you kind of got to your first natural pool with waterfalls. So once we completed our hike, you could either walk down a set of man-made steps into the natural pool, or 
you could jump off of a platform 12 feet in the air into the water. <laughs> <laughs> and so which did you choose? Oh, I mean, I, I had to choose the the 12-foot the jump. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> when else are you going to do something like that, right? My wife and I both did the 12-foot drop. So then once you were in the pool, they had you climb up into a secluded uh, cave with a pool. And you could just kind of see the natural beauty of how the waterfalls just eroded and carved out the, the rock. And then we spent a little time in the private pool and they took pictures. The paparazzi, as they call them, were there taking pictures of the entire uh, experience. So then once they kind of led you out of that pool area, you went down a natural rock-based water slide that was, again, formed out just by the erosion and the constant water action. So there were several natural rock water slides. uh, And then the final portion of the excursion, the the last waterfall area, you had a choice again. You could either do one uh, another water slide into the water or you could make a 17-foot jump off of a platform into the into the pool. My wife did the water slide once. They the uh, the excursion team that was leading it did give the give the option if you wanted to climb back up the steps. If you jumped from the platform or if you took the water slide, you could jump. You could go back up and do the other, or you could do the same thing twice. So my <laughs> my craziness, I took I did the seventeen foot jump twice, and it was absolutely incredible. <laughs> But it was uh, it was probably the best excursion that so far that we've been on of any cruise. Well, it sounds like you had a fabulous time on this cruise, Jonathan. Maybe a couple of kind of ultimate comparison questions here for you before we turn it over to Sam for her rapid fire. One is just service. So you know we hear a lot the refrain that Disney has some of the best service in the industry. What did you think of the service on board Carnival as compared to what you've experienced on on Disney? Yeah, so uh, definitely the service component uh, of Carnival was nowhere near the quality of of service that we get on Disney, and that's okay. We weren't, you know, we weren't expecting that. We went on the cruise to have a good time and not necessarily get the the Disney cruise experience. So we knew that going in. I mean, we had a good uh, a few really good interactions with some of the the staff members. Uh, especially, we spent a lot of time in the Red Frog Pub. On, on Deck 5 and really got to know the bartenders there. You could tell that they liked each other and that they enjoyed working together. It was almost like uh, it was a, a work husband-wife situation. Like they picked on each other and you know they made fun of each other a good bit. And it was just a fun atmosphere. So you know we had some really good service in some of the lounges and bars. Dinner service, like I said, was the, the two nights that we had the one server fantastic, probably a little less than the quality of service that you get in the dining rooms on Disney, but as close as I think Carnival would get. The other nights, since we did the year time dining and were more flexible, you know, it, it, we didn't have that same experience. But again, that was more of a choice. Like if we had chosen a set dining time, we probably would have had a more consistent service, service experience. I don't know. I guess I just went knowing that the service component wasn't going to be there as much as it is on Disney. Yeah, and that's that's interesting to hear. I think Disney does try to differentiate on service, so it's good to hear that maybe it is a differentiator. I guess, you know, the one other area we never touched on, Jonathan, was just onboard technology, which is an area where I think Disney kind of lags. What was it like on Carnival in terms of, you know, Wi-Fi and other kinds of uses of tech on board? Sure. So Carnival offers three Wi-Fi packages. They offer social, which allows you to access the most popular social media sites uh, and and post and, and do all of that kind of stuff. Then there was a value plan which allowed you to browse pretty much any website, check email, do anything like that. 
Then there was a premium version, which was just a faster version of the value. None of the plans included the ability to stream video, however. And they were reasonably priced. I think length of cruise for the value was $104. The social was about $80. And then I think the premium was $130 or something like that. It wasn't overly priced. And it was basically as much internet as you could use in that period of time versus having to buy a package that had a set data limit uh, on Disney. They have the Carnival has an app. The Carnival app is where you check in for your dinner if you have the flexible dining. It's where you view the schedule and the activities. And it's also where you can look at port adventures and everything like that. Now, they do have a chat feature like Disney. But however, it is a $5 per person charge to have the chat function, unlike being included on Disney. And do they, they don't have, I know some of the cruise lines have the equivalent of like a magic band like technology on board or something like that, or you use your phone to unlock your stateroom, that kind of stuff? Right. No, it, it was just basically insert your card into the door and uh, it wasn't even a, a tap to enter. It was like a, a hotel room where you inserted the card and pulled it out. And, and the Wi-Fi on board, did you use it at all? Was it fast? We did not. No, we, we stayed disconnected. We used our cell phone plan once we had hit land for a little bit. Well, Jonathan, the last question I have, and then I am going to hand it over to Sam for rapid fire, is just value. Obviously, we started the show off with an amazing price for the cruise. I think about halfway through the show, we learned, well, you know, the price is the price, but there's more stuff to pay on board. So if you reflect on kind of the overall amount of money you spent for this cruise as against, you know, what you would spend on a Disney cruise, how close did we get? How much value did you get out of the experience? And, you know, would you do it again? Yeah, I mean, we definitely got our money's worth. We had plenty of onboard expenses that kind of made up for the, the the inexpensive cruise fare. But I think still, relatively speaking, we didn't spend quite as much as we did on a, a typical Disney cruise of equal length. And an experience you'd do again? Would you, would you do it the same? I mean, we were definitely going to cruise Carnival again. We have one booked for 2023 out of Long Beach doing a Mexican Riviera. Uh, yeah, we'll do that again. I don't know after that what we'll do. I, I'm curious to try out like the Carnival Mardi Gras, you know, and see what some of their newer ships are like. But yeah, so I mean, it sounds like Carnival is a contender out there. And folks, we are big advocates of folks understanding all the different options that they have out in front of them and making sure that, uh, you know, Disney is keeping up with the competition, so to speak. And it sounds like in some ways they are, in some ways they aren't. And, you know, just you got to pick the right cruise line for you. So Sam, with that, I'm going to throw it over to you for a little bit of our comparing contrast rapid fire. Yeah. So this is just a head to head between Disney and Carnival. And and Jonathan, you just say, which one is doing it better? I was hoping that would be the rapid fire topic. Yeah. Yeah. So booking process. So this is talking about the stuff you do online and activities you book in advance and that sort of thing. Who does it better, Disney or Carnival? I would say Disney has a slight edge. It's The technology is pretty similar. The offerings are pretty similar, uh, but Disney has a slight edge, I think. Technology on board. Who is doing it better? Carnival, hands down, just because the, the Wi-Fi is basically an all-you-can-use version rather than being metered at a set number of megabytes. Water activities slash pools. So this is the water slides and the pools and that those areas. Disney, for sure. Shows. Disney, hands down. Activities on board. So these are the things like trivia, towel animals, all those kinds of various offerings. I would say they're pretty equal. Service. Disney. Food quality. 
Uh, pool. Okay, so I'm going to split this between pool and main dining room. Pool, deck food, uh, the burgers, the tacos, the pizza, the the buffet offerings. Carnival wins just for the selection alone. Now, main dining and premium dining is Disney, and there's no contest there. And the last question is just really the the head to head overall experience: Disney versus Carnival. I have to give the edge to Disney. Some of our best memories of cruising have been on a Disney ship. I look to that for that to continue in, in very much into the future. Carnival is fun. I will go on them again. But if I'm choosing how to spend my cruise dollars, Disney. Well, there you have it. And now we know why Disney topped the list for family cruise lines and Caribbean cruise lines this year in U.S. News and World Report. And so, yeah. Uh, but Jonathan, it is fabulous to have someone come on and talk to us about Carnival. I'm sure at some point, Sam and I will set foot on a Carnival ship and uh, do our own comparison. Maybe. But uh, for now, we are... <laughs> oh, throwing it down. All right. Okay. Well, sorry, Carnival. It will not be the CCL duo anytime soon. Yeah, I, you know, there's, I I feel like, you know, we haven't been on Royal or Norwegian or Princess, and it's been a while since we've been on Celebrity. And I would say, even though I think the price point for Carnival is great, I am more tempted by some of those other cruise lines than I am by Carnival. Well, Jonathan, you yourself are a podcaster because you are a Star Wars fan. You want to tell folks about your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So my friend Chris and I from college, we host a podcast called Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. And we are a podcast that talks about not only Star Wars, but also Star Trek and why it's okay to be a fan of both and that there really is no division between the two fan bases. There are plenty of us that bleed over into both. So if you're a fan of Star Wars or Star Trek, or if you're looking to get into one and you're not a fan of the other, by all means, give us a listen. Well, then I've got one last rapid fire question for you, Jonathan, as a Star Wars fan. I got to know what's going to be first, a stay at the Star Wars hotel that's opening up at Disney World or a drink in the Star Wars lounge that will be on board the Disney Wish? I will be uh, enjoying an adult beverage in hyperspace lounge on the Disney Wish before I I set foot in uh, Galactic Star Cruiser. I would much rather have a an eight night cruise for less than the price of a two night stay. I a hundred percent support that, and I think that Batu has nothing on Castaway Key. So you know, there you go. That's my that's my opinion. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and loved hearing about your carnival experience. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jonathan today about his experience aboard Carnival Cruise Line. It's one of our favorite kinds of show to do, just to bring you an experience from a different cruise line so you can hear what else is out there, what other cruise lines are out there. And then, you know, gives us some uh, opportunity to think about things that we might want to try. We've got a Norwegian cruise book next year and a Royal Caribbean cruise book next year. So looking forward to trying them out ourselves and letting you know our opinions. With that, the five-star reviews do keep rolling in. So I have another one to read on the air this week. This one comes from Lover one who writes, Great DCL podcast. Pod. This is a great all-around Disney vacation pod. They specialize in cruising, but love Brian and Sam's input into parks and other Disney resorts. Always have great guests and great content. Very entertaining and informative. Great listen with every episode. Well, thanks for that. Our guests absolutely make this show what it is, and so we appreciate each and every one of them for coming on and sharing their experiences with us. Uh, we say it in every episode, but if you would like to be a guest on our show, just reach out. 
With that, I do want to thank all of you out there for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. Please also head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us those five-star reviews. We love connecting with our listeners and reading them on the air each week. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also join the DCL Duo Vlog and Podcast Facebook group if you'd like to join a conversation with some like-minded DCL Duo fans and cruisers like yourself. If you'd like to help support the show, you can always browse to patreon.com slash DCL Duo and join one of our monthly support tiers. We really do appreciate each and every one of our Patreons out there and they do get some special access to us and some special things throughout the year. So head over there, check that out. You can also browse to touringplans.com slash travel to book your next fantastic Disney vacation. Just let them know the DCL Duo sent you. We also have a YouTube channel. You can browse to youtube.com slash DCL Duo for even more great content. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect to use the Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night. <laughs>